I'm thankful for the privilege this morning of being able to introduce a friend of mine, a friend of our ministry here, a partner in ministry with us, Vinit Sasane. He has come to us from a faraway land, <laughs> from Pune, India. Uh, for the last five years or so, uh, we have been uh, partnering with Vinit and Saya and their family as Vinit planted a church about five years ago in Pune, India, where he preaches expository sermons in Marathi. Uh, it's translated into English as well, or maybe I have it opposite. Uh, I'm thankful for Vinit because of his convictions regarding the gospel, that he loves uh, Christ, and he loves to proclaim the good news about Christ, that he understands good and important um, truths and realities about how God saves and how God works in his people. Uh, he's one, therefore one of my favorite preachers. I'm thankful that he can be here with us. I could introduce him as one of our pastors that is usually not here, um, because we're the only supporting church. Um, it's not like we're one of 100, uh, and so we consider him part of our pastoral staff, but he's either here once a year or we're there once a year, but we have a real good kindred spirit. So I love Vinit because he's a faithful pastor. He loves Christ. He loves to proclaim Christ. I also love Vinit on a personal level just because he's a friend. I love to spend time with him. I love him even more because since he was here last time, uh, he's taken up cycling. So, and, and to ride a bicycle in Pune, India takes some nerve, let me tell you. Um, I have a hard time walking across the street. For those of you who are older, you'll remember the, the video game Frogger. Uh, every, every Indian street experience I've had made me feel like I was in the game Frogger. So, and he cycles there. Pretty impressive. Uh, last time Vinit and Saya were here, it was in the spring, and it was snowing. Um, and so for them to see snow here was glorious. For the rest of us, we thought it was terrible because it was springtime. But now January, or as Vinit would say, Jan. He came in Jan, and it was snowing. So snow, now he rides a bike. Guess where I, where I took him this week? To Lake Zarinsky so he could ride a fat bike on the lake. So he has truly tasted of the heavenly gift of cycling in Omaha, Nebraska. On a serious note, I love Vinit and his family. I love it that we share a love for Christ because Christ has loved us. I'm glad he's preaching the word here today. So let's give him a warm welcome as he comes to preach. So at the hotel in San Diego... Uh, there was an interesting lady, she was half Jamaican, half American, and she looked at me and said, where are you from? And I said, India, and she had been to Calcutta in India, and then after some time she said, where are you headed? Because I had my bags down, and I said, Omaha, Nebraska, and she had that look on her face, <laughs> Omaha, <laughs> and where are you going there? <laughs> She said to me twice, why are you going there? And uh, all th she could think of it was, uh, okay, might as well enjoy the beef there. Um, so Omaha and steak are like synonyms, I guess. Uh, but there's so much more for me in Omaha. I'm super grateful for this partnership. Um, I'm so super grateful for your leaders and just to stay with them and their hospitality and and uh, how you all um, invest in our lives. It's more than a regular missions partnership. 
as Pat was explaining, um, this is like uh, older sister church, uh, and it's so good to see uh, some of you all were here four years ago and some new people as well. So we are in Exodus chapter 14 this morning. We finished uh, back at home preaching through Mark. It was a great experience and back at home I thought um, I'll give them some passages from the Old Testament, some classic passages from the Old Testament. And so we are in Exodus 14 and I'll just read uh, from verses 1 to 13 and you can follow along as I read. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host." And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and who pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Can you jump down to verse 30 of the same chapter? chapter? Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Let's pray even as we look at God's word. Father, we thank you for this resurrection morning. Thank you for the gospel-rich songs that we could sing and we could be reminded about your great love and your great provision in Christ Jesus for us. All that He is and all that He has, You have given us by grace. And Lord, You have taken us from strangers and aliens and enemies, and You have made us co-heirs in Your house. What a great love and mercy You have shown us in Jesus. And 
in light of that great love, we draw near that you would open your word to us and teach us by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. A few months ago, I and Saya, uh, my wife, we had gone out for some shopping. We were back at home and uh, I was just uh, checking my emails and my two and a half year son, uh, as lively and active as he is, he was jumping around and playing around. And my attention was not towards him and I was looking the other way in the bedroom and suddenly I heard a couple of thuds and the next scene I saw was my son on the floor and uh, he had fallen on his head and I thought it's just another usual fall Uh, but this time when I picked him up he was blacked out, he was not opening his eyes and Saya came in and she sat and she tried to get his attention but we understood that this is different, this is serious and I quickly, uh, my first reaction was to grab the car keys um, we, we didn't have time to dress um, because we just knew that this is different, not like the usual falls. And I remember the long drive to the nearest hospital, long, not because of distance, long because of traffic and driving like a crazy man and he was in Saya's hand and we have never experienced something like this before. It was an emergency and uh, I didn't know what to pray, I didn't feel very righteous but... I just remember how relevant the gospel was at that time in the car and I prayed that you see us in Christ Jesus God and we were praying all the way to the hospital and we know that your banner over us is love in Christ Jesus and we know that you are sovereign and we know that you are in control and so we rushed to the hospital and um, they asked for a CT scan to be done and uh, I remember that since he is a small boy, I had to accompany him in the CT scan and they laid him on that small bed which goes into the machine and they made me sit um, and cover his legs with a blanket because that room is typically very cold and just remember just going up and into the machine and seeing my boy and his head inside that machine. And really not knowing, because this is a head injury, just so many thoughts, so many uncertainties, and so many things coming to mind. But, by God's grace, I remember saying that, my God, this is, this is nothing that has happened when God was looking the other way. It happened when the parents were looking the other way. But our God, He is sovereign over every situation, over our lives, and He is compassionate and faithful and good to His people who are in Christ. And I remember just praying that and I didn't know what exactly to ask, but just asking for God's mercy in this situation um, and saying, God, give us grace to deal with whatever uh, results are shown in the scan report. By God's grace, after an hour, uh, Ezra was up and about wanting to listen to his favorite songs and uh, asking for his favorite food. After a couple of days in the hospital, uh, he wasn't wanting to go back because of all the attention he was getting from the nurses and the doctors. And uh, yeah, they had to put these special railings because he would stand up again and uh, jumping just seemed to be so natural, but we were like on edge the whole time. 
why I want to share this is being a Christian, being uh, God's child in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, does not mean that there will be these sudden, unexpected, unforeseen, unplanned for incidents in our life. It doesn't mean that our faith will be not never tested. It does mean that the Lord has various, various ways of testing our faith. The Lord has various ways, but in all His ways, He is love and faithful to His people in Christ Jesus. And even as I was singing these songs with you, I was thinking insufficient in myself. But as I looked outside of myself and to my acceptance in Christ Jesus, and that's what the gospel reminds us, it builds our faith, the gospel. It's not something that's just a culture, what we do. We are, as we go back and remember who Christ is and what he has done for us, we afresh uh, realize that he is for us and we are in him. And it's a great way to build up our faith, the gospel-rich songs and attending the, hear, the preaching of his word. And all of these are means of grace that God has given to build our faith. And notice how this chapter ends. This is not some story where God just does his deliverance and entertains his people. This is a historic incident where God, where Yahweh showed his awesome saving, delivering power. But it's interesting how the chapter ends where they saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. So how can we nourish our faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word, not just to become a believer, but as a believer, the Christ-centered word, it inflames and enlarges our heart time and again. And it builds our faith to trust God, even as New Testament believers, in the ups and downs of life, in the unexpected days and times and seasons of our life. And that's what I was realizing even as we were singing together, how the gospel enlarges our hearts and, and boosts our faith and our confidence and our trust. And that's huge. Even as we begin 2018, more than giving just actions of what you should do, the, the first most important thing is trust and then obey. Uh, so it should come out of that trust and it's no small assignment for God's leaders and preachers and teachers. Primarily, our work is to build up your faith in Christ Jesus. And I'm praying and hoping that that's what would happen even as we look at this incident Familiarity can get in the way because we've heard this from childhood and it's about the dividing of the Red Sea and Moses. And I know this and I know every bit of this. Even some of you might be knowing where P. Hairoth is on the map and that's how well versed you are with this story. But uh, may God encourage and enlarge and strengthen our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, even through this Old Testament passage. So the title of today's sermon is Yahweh's Awesome Salvation. Yahweh's Awesome Salvation so that He alone gets the glory. So that He alone gets the glory. 
As you begin to read this book of Exodus, you'll find at least ten times God saying that they might know that I am Yahweh. That they might know I am God. I'm going to do this for my own glory. But of course, chapter 3 of this book is about God revealing himself. And he reveals his name as Yahweh. So deliberately in our outline this morning, in the title of our sermon, we want to use the word Yahweh. Because God reveals himself in a very desperate time to his people as Yahweh. I'm much bigger, God is saying, than before you ask my name and compare me and put me in any category according to your thinking of the gods of this earth. Let me tell you, I am that I am. I am the unchanging one. I have always been in my absolute perfection and I always will be. There is no waxing or waning. There is no decreasing. Even after creating the world and upholding it for all these years, there is no waxing and waning. I am that I am. And I am before the foundations of the world, before time. I am, that's his name. I exist and I am that I am. In fact, everything, every person, every decision, whether it's in the White House or whether it's on uh, Seven Race Course Road in New Delhi or whether it's on, uh, I don't know what, uh, Baker Street or 10 Downing Street uh, in, sorry, Baker Street is something different. 10 Downing Street in Britain, every quiet decision, every hush-hush decision is not independent. It's not something that is secret and out of control of Yahweh because He is and He is all that He is and our Jesus yesterday, today, forever is also the same. That's the great declaration that we see in this book of who our God is. Everything, every breath of every superpower leader of every country of this world is not independent but dependent on God and therefore he's sovereign therefore he knows the end from the beginning therefore he orchestrate all things for his glory and that's important to have as a background to this section because you will see it makes sense if he is Yahweh the great I am then this is uh, most natural this is this is most easy for him to bring out his people by his mighty hand for his glory. So keep that in the back of your mind. This is the great declaration by God. And this is how he will prove that great declaration. By delivering his people. By bringing them out. By saving them. So Yahweh's awesome salvation. So that he alone gets the glory. That's everywhere in the book of Exodus. And we are going to see an incident which points to that. Which proves that great truth this morning. The first point that I have for you is the Sovereign Lord's directive and end goal. The Sovereign Lord's directive and end goal. In verses 1 to 4 we see, uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piahiroth, between Migdol and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. That's the directive. We see God in control. He has already shown His mighty hand and He has struck the firstborn of Egypt. He has brought his people out. They've plundered Egypt. They are on the way. But if you see the previous chapter, you see God is leading his people and he's leading them 
not straight to the promised land, but through the wilderness. Because God knows they are not ready for battle. So you can see, Yahweh is this great I am and we can never imagine and grasp fully who He is and the immensity of that. And yet, how amazing that He condescends and He knows His people. And He knows the exact time when to deliver His people. If this deliverance had come too soon, Israel would have been just a few hundred people. And how would they go and occupy the promised land? So he exactly knows what he is doing. He has not forgotten his people. And in fact, as he leads his people, he knows that they are not battle ready. And he leads them by the wilderness. Sometimes it's so difficult, right? He's, his ways are so much not our ways. And we probably pan out our life. We pan out the next five years, the next year, the next couple of years what they will look like. But it's an amazing journey with our great Lord because He goes before us and He knows exactly what our limitations are and He knows exactly what's good for us and when it is good for us. And we see that uh, the people of Israel are moving down in the wilderness and suddenly, you see in verse 2, there is an instruction and a directive, turn back. And then the the directive is to go to a certain place where there are kind of hills and mountains on uh, one side and the sea in front of them. And you can imagine uh, the older people, the grey-haired people in the group who are wise and who begin to think, Moses, where are you taking us now? Do you think this is a wise strategy to now make a sudden turn? What will the scouts of Egypt who are watching us what will they think about this? Will they look at this as confusion and, and uh, chaos? Even as you turn and you come facing a sea, that doesn't, from a human point of view, seem as the best strategy. But we know that our Lord, He doesn't think like us. His ways are much higher. And He has an end goal in mind. And we see that in verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God has an end goal in mind. And he knows exactly how Pharaoh will respond. And he knows exactly how he will come after God's people. But he has his glory in mind. This is not some general who is saying this is the best possible decision that we could make. But there might be some variations to our plan. This is not how our God is. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows exactly how things are going to work out. And therefore he can work out his glory in all situations. And even at the beginning of the year, how wonderful and refreshing to know that our God from the beginning has been about His glory. He says that they shall know that I am Yahweh. If you uh, notice Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2, when Moses, after much convincing, goes with Aaron and he talks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh? I don't know him. That is the biggest mistake that you can ever make with the living God, the great I am who was and is and who is forevermore upon whom you depend for your every breath to him 
to ask who is Yahweh. And so in a sense, Pharaoh, like a sovereign of the earth, he's saying, who is Yahweh? Who is Yahweh? I do not know him. And boy, is he going to find out. And boy, has he found out already who Yahweh is. This is a theme throughout the Bible that God crushes and brings down the high and the lofty who think much of themselves. You remember King Sanikareb? He comes and says scary things to God's people and they're so scared and they come to Hezekiah but he makes a fatal mistake as he says that none of the gods of the cities that I ruined and destroyed were able to help them. And do you think your God will help? Next morning he wakes up 185, sorry, 185,000 of his soldiers are wiped out and he has to make a retreat back home. Nebuchadnezzar, as he looks at Babylon, and he says, look at this great empire that I have built. Next thing he notices, he is wanting and craving dog food, and he's going to be in that state for seven years. God is about his glory. World history is heading to a day when he is going to do a showdown in the person of his son, where he's going to get the glory and how revelation ends with this great Babylon that makes so much boast and pomp in herself, is brought down. And the kingdoms of the world are the kingdoms of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the end goal that God has. And and praise God that He is about His glory. He's not somebody who is starved for uh, importance and and credit and and we have to kind of uh, please Him. And He's hungry for His glory. If you understand His name, Yahweh, and if you understand how desperately we are in need of Him, and how desperately our planet, our galaxy, our universe is hanging on every bit of His Word and His power, then you'll realize He is absolutely right to work all things for His glory. And as believers, we find ourselves in that place where He's working all things in our life as well for His glory. And sometimes they are not as we think those things should be. But at the same time, they are for our good as well, for His glory. And at the same time, tied into that is things working out for our good to make us more like Christ Jesus. And so the Sovereign Lord's directive we see, and His end goal is to bring Pharaoh to a place where he will exalt himself. And he will gain glory. Moving on, the Lord's, the sovereign Lord's success begins to take shape. The Lord just doesn't say something that this is how it's going to work out and something else happens. But he says what it's going to pan out and exactly that's what happens. If you see verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done and that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pihahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. What God said, what the Sovereign Lord said, began. 
But how can it be success? How can it be success that Pharaoh, the superpower, has changed his mind? And that he's coming after you with 600 of his chariots. And not just that, his entire army and his officers and his whole deal. He's not kind of looking at this as one of the battles that his general can go after. He is dead serious. His pride has been hurt. And all the gods of Egypt have been humiliated through those plagues. And the next morning probably the workforce is not there. It's missing. And over the few days it starts... Uh, He starts feeling the impact and his people start feeling the impact that there's no workforce for all our building, for all our infrastructure. There's no one to do all the dirty work, so to say, for us. And it's amazing that the Bible says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the Bible also says that there was a change of mind toward the people. This talks about how he is so sovereign. I'm pretty sure that he didn't feel like a hard tug uh, and uh, things like that. But we know from day one, Pharaoh was wicked in his heart and he was oppressive and he hated God's people, so to say, and he was unwilling to recognize the one true living God of the world. And so the Bible has this mix of Pharaoh hardening his heart and the Lord hardening his heart. This is a very sobering picture. This is a picture of how God allows judgment. There is a point where He gives you over to the desires of your heart. And that's what we see happening. And how can this be success when a big force, a superpower nation with all its sophisticated army is after me? It can only be success if you are Yahweh's chosen people, if you are His covenant people. Because no matter how big the storm, no matter how big the trial, no matter with what vengeance the enemy comes, Yahweh is before His people. Yahweh is behind His people. That's why David says, He's my shield, He's my tower, He's my refuge, He encompasses me. The only way this makes sense, that this is a successful move by the enemy, is because their apparent success is going to end in terrible defeat. And this apparent onslaught, this apparent great attack is going to turn into triumph for God's people. The only way that uh, the defining factor is, who is Yahweh with? Is He for you or is He against you? And notice that Pharaoh has gone with 600 choice chariots and and the historians talk about how the Egyptians boasted in their chariots and how they used them as sophisticated military weapons. These were like their tanks. And uh, there was a time, especially during the Second World War, First World War, the amount of tanks you had determined how much area and how much damage you could do. And really, your power was reflected in your tanks. And he apparently has 600 choice chariots with officers skilled to attack and apart from that he has his whole army and he's out to get God's people back into slavery. But only when Yahweh is with us, when the Lord Jesus is with us, even the greatest fear and the greatest trial and the greatest seeming 
difficulty can work together for our good because of how great he is and how he can orchestrate in his great providence so many things in so many ways all to make us more like Jesus all for our benefit let's move on uh, the sovereign lord's people and their contrasting response the sovereign lord's people had experienced so much success they had experienced god making a deliberate separation between his people and the enemies they had experienced a great release and to go out from egypt but notice what a contrasting response to all of that if you see verse 10 when pharaoh drew near the people of israel lifted up their eyes and behold the egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly and the people of israel cried out to the lord they said to moses is it because there are no graves in egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness that what have you done to us in bringing us out of egypt is not this what we said to you in egypt leave us alone that we may serve the egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the egyptians than to die in the wilderness in the beginning it seems like they are crying to the lord and it's a wonderful positive thing but it's not a cry of dependence but it's a cry of horror and and negativity and that's the contrasting response they should have at least had some dependence in that cry but as they talk to moses we see the words die we see the words grave i mean there can be nothing positive about those words and they even say it was better to serve the egyptians than to die in the wilderness sudden sudden trials unexpected things they kind of knock us out of our comfort zone to they show us the depth of our faith and our trust that sudden phone call of an emergency the sudden news of a loved one's passing the sudden medical report when you seem to start your health so well in the year but suddenly things go different and things deteriorate and you get a very 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 grim looking medical report the sudden change of a boss at work where your old boss and you had such a good rapport and then now there is this whole new move or new colleagues or a sudden change of mind of your own relatives or your colleagues at work as they come to know of your faith in Jesus Christ all of these sudden happenings can really shake us even in our christian lives and what we say in those moments reflects where we stand in our faith the moment they uttered these negative words the whole scene should have changed the whole scene should have changed pharaoh's army should have just come and run over god's people god's pillar of cloud god's pillar of fire should have just withdrawn from his people but you know what the amazing thing is because he our god has set his sight on his glory and because of his covenant love that's the best thing that was 
happening for God's people. Because if it was on their own merit, pretty much it was game over from the beginning. And even in our Christian lives, because God has tied into our salvation, that He will be glorified by presenting us holy and blameless before Him in love, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Because He has set His covenant love on us in Christ Jesus, we are here. Because face it, we've also had such unbelieving thoughts. We've also had such negativity in our own hearts through lives up and downs. We've also had such crazy grumbling and murmuring. This murmuring, this grumbling, this negativity would continue in Israel's history. And they absolutely don't deserve and, and they did not deserve all that God did for them. It just highlights the greatness of our God's faithfulness, the greatness of our Lord's patience, the greatness of our Lord's unshakable purposes and His sovereign love and grace. So it's pretty, pretty dark and negative the way they respond. It's pretty sinful the way they respond because at a basic level, this is what what God wants from us, to trust Him because everything else flows out of that trust. And Adam and Eve had broken it and God's people in the Old Testament have broken and have not been faithful and trustful. But we see Jesus our perfect mediator, fully God, fully man. He comes and absolutely trusts God's word when Satan attacks him and tempts him. He stays absolutely faithful to every sentence, every jot, every word, every letter as he quotes it back to Satan. He lives in such trust and faithfulness that he offers himself with cries of suffering and he obeys and he stands on our behalf. And that's our only hope, that our salvation is tried to the glory of God and our salvation is in that perfect mediator and that God's covenant love was behind all of this in Christ Jesus. It shows us that it's not we, it's not our grasp on God, but His grasp on us in Christ Jesus. And as we move on, we see this this horrible response and it should have been game over right then and there. But we see the sovereign Lord's servant speak words of great faith. The sovereign Lord's servant speak words of great faith. If you see Moses in verse 13, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you And you have only to be silent. Moses is someone who is hearing all their cries. And very next verse, God says, Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? So we see the beginnings of his mediatorial role, even over here, as he hears the cries of God's people. And he's looking to God and crying to God. And he's then hearing from God his plans and his purposes. And he's acting according to it. And we see that uh, our hope is not in Moses ultimately, who is one faithful in the house. But our hope is in that one true perfect mediator, the Lord Jesus, who 
sympathizes with our weaknesses and yet he speaks his grace to us. Moses speaks great words of faith in this intense, intense situation. He says, fear not, because he knows, he can see the fear in their eyes and their hearts and their tone and their speaking. He says, stand firm rather than scattering. Fear makes us scatter here and there. And see the salvation of the Lord. Because where else could salvation come from? From the sea? From the hills? From any neighboring nations that know Israel, who care about Israel? From their own army or whatever they have? Because they've never faced a sophisticated fighting force. The salvation was not going to come from beneath or around. It was going to come from only one source. And that is from above. Kind of reminds us of our situation, doesn't it? If they were in an intense corner, we were in an intense situation too. Jesus says, he who sins is a slave to sin. The Bible says that we were in the bondage of the fear of death in Hebrews 2. The Bible says we were slaves of unrighteousness in Romans 6. Bible says we were enslaved in Titus 3. Bible says that we were under the prince of the power of the air. The Bible says that we were children of wrath, like a mother nursing. The only thing the mother was, mother wrath over us. And any moment it would break loose on us. And it would be, I mean, if that is an intense, if any situation is an intense situation, it's that. And perhaps today you are outside of Jesus Christ and in a place like America, Omaha, you can see your superstores. Always tell Pat, you all are spoiled for choice. You all have, I mean, 10 different varieties of pizzas at the men's retreat uh, and, you know, 50 different kinds of uh, even yogurts at a supermarket. So you might feel that I have it all going for me. I have super abundance in the land flowing with Milk and honey. Indians call America the land flowing with milk and honey. But let me tell you, if you are outside of Jesus Christ, your situation is more intense than this. And salvation cannot come from yourselves. True salvation, true deliverance from darkness into the kingdom of His Son has to come from above. And it has come. Jesus came and lived and lived perfectly, fulfilled God's law and He died and rose again for us so that that salvation can come from Him because salvation is of the Lord and not of us. Notice what Moses says, and He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. That's the definitive Decisive way in which our God works. He did it again when He brought them out of Babylon. He said 70 years and then He did it according to His definitive, decisive way. And on the cross, He said in a decisive way, not I am finished, not I think it is finished. I think maybe I have covered much ground. But he said in a definitive, decisive way, it is finished. 
it is finished. That's why Paul can say that you are complete in Him. When you feel incomplete, when people intimidate you with all other ways, that Christ is not enough. We see our God all along has been more than sufficient and decisive in the way He delivers. And that's what He did for us in Christ Jesus. It's amazing how He says, you shall never see again what seemed impossible for them. What seemed impossible for them. How in the world this is going to happen? We are done for here. He's come with all of His army, not some of His army. But with God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. The nations are like a drop in the bucket. He says. He's sovereign over all the nations. And He says, Moses, in verse 14, The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. What a great savior, warrior of his people. Further down in this chapter, the Egyptians confess. When they get stuck in the muck, they say their Yahweh fights for them. In this chapter, if you study it back at home, you'll see Yahweh, he, he's a pillar between the Egyptians and the Israelites. In front of them, he's a pillar of fire and he's a pillar, a cloudy pillar to not give the Egyptians sight. So He is our preserver. He is our, he's our God who watches over us. That is our great, great God. And you know how the story worked out. You know how the story worked out. But before we end, it's amazing that Moses says, see the salvation of the Lord. And that's exactly what Jesus told Nicodemus, that like Moses lifted up that brass serpent, and the Israelites saw. All we have to do is see. Because all He has accomplished for us. See by faith. The Lord Jesus Christ. It happened in Spurgeon's life. As he tells about his conversion. How he was supposed to go to his church. But the snowstorm. Which helps me to understand now. Uh, what a snowstorm is. And how it must have been. And I better be in Pune before uh, any snowstorm. But he gets snowed in. And he has to go to this primeval Methodist church it's called and the pastor apparently he couldn't show up there and they put up old man and he could he wasn't much of a preacher Spurgeon says I'm glad he says that he wasn't much of a preacher because he his eloquence could have got in the way but all he could say that day was from Isaiah 55 look unto me all ye nations and be saved and it's amazing that he looks at Spurgeon sitting in a corner as a 17-year-old boy, and he says, young man, you look so depressed. God says, look unto me, because he has accomplished all that is necessary for our salvation. And in a sense, that's what Moses is saying, that there is nothing and nowhere else you can look at and find help, but only in your all-sufficient God. And you know how the story worked and they walked through water and they were delivered and they were brought out. But it's amazing how the chapter ends. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. God's great deeds produce fear and awe in our hearts. And when we look at the cross, instead of producing callousness or casualness, 
Every time you see at it for what it is, it fills our heart with awe. So that we are left with no other response. How can I not love you? And how can I not be grateful? And how can I not obey you in the various situations of my life? This morning, we don't have a fancy PowerPoint to show you the maps, to show you how the historical place could be and how great of a story it could be. We don't have a video clip of God's great, powerful working in the Old Testament. But you know what Paul says? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And Paul says, I portrayed Jesus and Him crucified before you. And that's all we have. And that's even more powerful than the Red Sea crossing. Because when God's Spirit opens your eyes to see Christ, the wisdom and the power of God, He becomes our salvation. And as believers, this morning, you must have heard this story again and again. And may you see Jesus in this story. And may you see the power of His cross again. So that you too are a fresh cause to fear Him. Because of His great, awesome deed, what He did for us on the cross and His resurrection. And that you might believe in Him for your trials and ups and downs of life. That you might trust that He who gave His Son for me, will He not with Him give me all things for my life. And may that build us up in Jesus, that trust and that fear, and cause us to walk with our God. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great story, and thank you for the fact that every story whispers your name, Lord Jesus. And that, Lord, it's not just inspiring as a good story, but it is you we see, because you are in all of Scripture. And Lord Jesus, you are that, that ultimate Great salvation. Your name is Savior, for He shall save His people from their sins. So we pray today, if there are any who for the first time by Your grace have caught sight of that great demonstration of the cross, that You would cause them to turn from their sin and trust in Christ. And as believers, if we have lost sight of that great deed, that You, we, you would cause our eyes to be refixed on the great and awesome deed of the cross and all that it means to us, so that our faith will be built up and we true will trust and, and respond in our life's challenges and situations out of trust and reliance. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.